The Word of God is a victorious book. When we read the Word of God, we're reminded that we serve a victorious God. I want to turn your attention tonight to the book of Matthew, chapter 6 and verse 33. We will begin in Matthew uh, chapter 6 and verse 33. This is a scripture that um, you often hear uh, quoted in churches, and certainly this church is no different. But I want to try to unpack it for a, uh, a little bit more tonight and see if we can extract some uh, principles that will benefit us in our day-to-day life. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I want to talk for a few moments tonight on this subject, first fruit fundamentals. First fruit fundamentals. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There is a principle in the word of God that I believe is the secret to being successful and fulfilled. And it's important that we be both of those things. You can be successful by the world standards and not be fulfilled in your own personal life. But I believe that God will cause us to be fulfilled individually and to be successful so that our blessings uh, runneth over, our cup runneth over. It's more important to understand that God wants to bless us so our cup runneth over for two reasons. Number one, it indicates that we are full And so we are fulfilled, but also it runs over, meaning that the blessings of God splash over into other people's lives that we rub shoulders with. That's why God will continue to bless uh, you and I. But this particular principle, and the reason that we are focused on this principle tonight is because principles are established forever. They're not going to go in and out of style. It's not for a certain generation. But principles are forever established. And so there is a principle in the Word of God that I believe is a roadmap for us to being successful and being fulfilled. And it involves the priority of placement. The priority of placement. We understand priorities, what we consider to be the most important thing and so forth. But oftentimes we we find ourselves with several things that are important. And how do we place those things? I think this is uh, something that the Word of God gives us some clear direction on. Uh, Let's talk a a little bit about it tonight. It's important to, uh, I believe, reestablish the fundamentals that are in uh, your life and my life on a a regular basis. Uh, Why do we do what we do? Uh, this is something that's not lost. Corporations do it. Uh, uh, it small businesses do it. It's churches, uh, individuals, families, corporations. What, why are we doing what we're doing? What is the, what is the purpose for it? And uh, when we look at our own individual lives, we recognize that there are some fundamentals that are common to all of us. And they involve five different areas. Number one, spiritual Number two, mental. Number three, physical. Number four, emotional. And number five, social. And I'll refer to them, but I'll I'll give them to you again in case you're taking notes. Number one, spiritual. Number two, mental. Number three, physical. Number four, emotional. And number five, social. These These are five areas of fundamentals that are common uh, to all of us that are here on this uh, earth and that are breathing air and in particular that are trying to walk by biblical principles. And if we can be healthy in each of these areas, then we will be fulfilled and successful. If we can be healthy in these five areas. And the Bible comes alongside of this and and it gives us a hint to how we can guarantee the success in each one of these areas. The Bible has a principle that says, put the spiritual man first in all of these categories and you'll be successful in each area. Seek first 
the kingdom of God. And then we read that the Old Testament reinforces this principle. Let's look at some scripture now. If you have your Bibles, uh, I turn your attention to Ezekiel chapter 44 and verse 30. Ezekiel 44 and verse 30. And it says, And the first of all the firstfruits of all things, and every oblation of all, of every sort of your oblations, of course, which was their sacrifices, shall be the priests. Ye shall also give unto the priest the first of your dough. That must have been where money was first referred to as dough. <laughs> the first of your dough that he may cause the blessing to rest in thine house. So all the way back in the Old Testament, there's an indication that if they would bring the first to the priest or to the temple, to the house of God, that then that particular act would cause that blessing to be multiplied uh, to the entire house. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. And we'll come back to these in just a moment because uh, that particular verse is very interesting. What are the presses and what are the barns and what is the, the metaphor there? Well, when we read these verses, and I know you've heard us talk about it before, this is referring to uh, financial blessings, but it's more than financial blessings. It also speaks to quality of life. It speaks to purpose. It speaks to fulfillment. And so from the very beginning, God has made it clear in his dealings with mankind that the first portion belongs to him. So when the Lord was instructing Moses on the law and the moral code of the people, he told, he told Moses to write down what the people were to do concerning the first fruits. And of course, the, the increase speaks of honoring the Lord with your substance. And we often examine that with our obedience of giving from our financial increase. But I think that these principles apply to all areas of our life. And we can look at it through the eyes of our financial giving and then use that as a template to see how that same principle works in every other area of our life. So let's examine it for just a moment through what is common in this uh, verse, in these verses that I read. Uh, and that is referring to, of course, uh, paying tithes and giving offerings. Let's look at it that way first and then we'll expand it from there. Exodus chapter 34, verses 26 and 27 says, The first of thy first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring unto the Lord, or rather unto the house of the Lord thy God, Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. Now, whenever you see that type of verbiage in Scripture, something should just cause you to pause and consider, because when God makes a covenant with humanity, it is significant. There is something powerful about that because God honors His Word. And so when He is in covenant agreement, we know that this is something that is not just confined to a period of time of 2,000 years ago, but this is something that I can uh, pull from and apply to my own individual life. So He says, according to the tenor of these words, in other words, according to... The, the, the principle of, of this command, according to the, the understanding of this, there is going to be a covenant that will be established uh, with my people. Now, there are two things that are clear from the very beginning. A, the first portion of their increase belonged to God. We know that. And B, the size of that portion was a tenth. The size of that portion was a tenth. And that's where the, even the word tithe comes from. It comes from a tenth. So from the very beginning, he established that the first part was to belong to him, and then the size of that first part was a tenth. Uh, look at Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. 
We'll read verses 30, uh, 31 and 32. Leviticus chapter uh, 27. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. Now many times when we talk about the fifth part, we talk about the offerings. And, and people uh, oftentimes will give 10% their tithe of their income, and then uh, they give uh, an additional 10% in offering, which is the fifth part. And of course, we do that through missions and other things. But that's this is where it comes from, 20%, of course, being a fifth part. Now look at verse 32. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Now throughout the Old Testament, he makes this clear. The tenth part belonged to him. He honors addition, but the tenth part belongs to God and is non-negotiable. Look at Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. The language gets even stronger as you make your way through the word of God. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10 says, Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you on a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So there is this promise that if we will obey God's word and give God what belongs to him, that he's going to bless, that there's going to be this uh, this downpour, as it were. Uh, there, there, there's a term that we got familiar with a number of years ago in our uh, government that was called uh, trickle-down economics. And that is that if the people at the top of the spectrum are doing well, then it trickles down and there's more jobs and businesses grow and, and people have better you know, income and jobs and benefits. And so it all trickles down. Uh, the problem with trickle-down economics is that oftentimes it doesn't trickle. It's, it gets stopped up. And, and, and here's what I love about the Lord. The Lord doesn't have trickle-down economics. He has flow-down blessings. <laughs> if you're faithful to God, it doesn't trickle, it flows. That's what I love about the Lord. Hallelujah. God is sitting uh, at the top uh, of this whole uh, paradigm, as it were. And He is not a God that is a stingy God. He's a generous God. So if we obey His Word, it flows down. That means everything is blessed. Uh, if, if I can do what the Word of God tells me to do, then I will be blessed. But not only I will be blessed, but my family will be blessed. My kids will be blessed. My, my friends will be blessed. My church will be blessed. Everything will flow down from people that are obeying the Word of God. Now, let's establish some things um, in the Word of God that I think are very interesting as it relates to this principle. First of all, in the Garden of Eden, the Lord told Adam and Eve that it was, it was all prepared for them. He made the whole Garden of Eden for, for Adam and Eve, and everything that was in the Garden was there, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Uh, people have oftentimes said, well, why would, why would God um, put a tree in, a, in, in the middle of the Garden that they could not partake of? Because it was a principle that was to be established throughout all of humanity. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do my best to explain this as we go. Here's what's interesting about this tree. Historians and theologians tell us that there were ten different kinds of trees in the garden. And in fact, of those ten trees, every other tree that we have in this world all comes from one of the nine trees that were in that garden. So that there were, there were ten types of trees. And there was one that the Lord said, don't partake of. That was his. And of the nine trees, they were given to mankind. And we still have them today. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was the first tree. And the reason that Adam and Eve were not to mess with it was because it did not belong to them. 
you, you can see it. You can enjoy the beauty of it. But don't touch it. Don't take it. Because it's not yours. Uh, one, of, one of the great secrets in life, especially as it relates to first fruit fundamentals, is that you want to know what to say no to. If you can learn what to say no to, you can say yes to a whole bunch of good stuff. And this is, this is the rub. This is where the majority of mankind gets off track. And that is that we never learn how to say no to our own desires. And until we learn to say no to our first impulses, this principle applies to every area of life. We understand it as it relates to our tithe, but it goes well beyond that. If I can learn to not just say the first thing that comes to my mind, to say no to that tree. Think about how we will not regret a lot of things that we say that we wish we could take back. But in the heat of the moment, we took of the tree. We took of that emotional lollipop. We took of that opportunity to get back. We, and, and we spoke in anger and those words were out and they could not be retrieved. Think about if we could say no to the first impulses of our flesh, we would not get in immoral relationships. If we said no to our first impulse in so many areas of life, that God could begin to bless us and say, Lord, no, what I first feel to do, I'm going to back up and I'm going to pray about it first. I remember when I was, I was sharing this with my... Uh, my sons recently, when I was a, a young man and was looking for a car, I would go and look for a car that was within my budget. My dad, you know, would go with me and I would find one that I liked and I was ready to buy it right then. I have the money. I like the car. It runs. It's got good tires. And, and I have the money to do it. Let's seal the deal and go. And I can remember my dad would say, why don't we go home and sleep on it, son? And I did not want to sleep on it. I did not feel it was necessary to sleep on it. It may be gone tomorrow. You know, when you're young, you're impulsive, right? But thankfully, there's some wisdom about saying, wait a second, not so fast. Can you, can you imagine what would happen in our lives if we were more deliberate with saying, wait a second, the first thing I'm going to do is go and pray about it. Now, I feel strongly about doing this. But before I do, I'm going to ask God to help me and give me some direction. Oh, hallelujah. Don't you know the Lord would help us and we wouldn't have to live with so much regret because we took the first fruits and said, no, Lord, I'm not going to partake of what I want to do in my flesh. I'm going to back off and I'm going to let God give me direction and guidance. We understand uh, as this relates to paying our tithes that that's important because it's obedience to the word of God. But beyond that principle is this understanding that if we can give the very first of everything to the Lord, especially as it relates to those five areas, and I'll get more specific so you understand how that principle applies. But let's, let's start with a few things that are tangible that we can get our arms around. Give the first of your day to the Lord. Spend time with God before you do on social media. Remember we talked about how this involves social, mental, all these other things? Um, if you will first talk to God before you start sharing all your innermost thoughts into the general public as a whole, if you'll just talk to God first, you won't have to go back and delete so many tweets. <laughs> We're talking about first fruit fundamentals. That the rest of your day will be in alignment if you'll spend a few moments talking to God first. Lord, I thank you for another day. I thank you for another opportunity, hallelujah, to be a witness on this earth to your glory and your greatness. And, and I'm going to talk to you first before anything else. Uh, that's establishing the first fruit principle with our social time. We're going to talk to God first. The, give the first of your praise to the Lord. 
Now, I believe this principle goes to the development of us emotionally. If we can stop and say, I'm going to praise God first when I feel anger, when I feel hurt, when I feel disappointment, when I feel wounded, instead of taking any of those emotions and bringing them into my bosom and allowing them to be a part of who I am, my thought process, I'm going to stop and I'm going to stop and say, wait a second, before I subscribe to any of those feelings, I'm going to stop and praise God. You know, if you would start to praise God, you would find that all those things you're feeling will dissipate. And you'll be able to go through your day in a positive frame of mind rather than a negative frame of mind because you didn't take that emotional lollipop. You decided you were going to praise God and live by biblical principles and say, God, I'm going to praise you first. Before I criticize the situation, I'm going to worship God. Before I criticize the individual, I'm going to give honor to God. You'll be fulfilled. You'll be successful. Give the first of your reading to the Word of God. Now, I believe strongly about this. You can ask my family. I believe that you ought to read the Bible before you read your email. Some of you say, well, Pastor, I wake up and immediately grab my cell phone and start reading. You can put a Bible app on your cell phone. (laughs) <laughs> some of you got a bible app on your cell phone right now you can you can if you'll if you'll spend time reading the word of god i can't tell you the number of times that i have spent uh and it doesn't have to be an hour it may just be five ten minutes but you can read the the, the word of god first and god will give you a scripture that will then prepare you for what you're going to face that day I mean, you can read down four, get through all your junk emails and get to the, the email that you think is important and open it up and read it and it can mess up your whole day. But if you've read the Word of God first, God's given you wisdom and understanding and you know what? You can deal with that situation and it not destroy your day, not destroy your witness, not kill you, not make your mood bad. All the things that we can do as emotional human beings. If you'll just give God the first part uh, of your reading and say, you know, from a mental, from an intellectual standpoint, before I do anything else, before I acquire uh, knowledge of what's going on in Ukraine, or before I read about what's happening in social media, or before I find out what's happening in my email box, I'm going to stop and say, God... I want you and your word to be the first part of what is entering into my mind. Oh, my friend, there are, these are secrets of how to live a fulfilled life. It's all in the word of God. In every area of the fundamentals of our life, give him the first fruit. And the only way you can do this is to say no to yourself for the first portion. Now, I want you to remember this. This is a statement that I think will be beneficial. Remember that just because you possess it does not mean that you own it. Just because you possess it does not mean that you own it. Now, we understand that, I believe we do, as it relates to finances, that God blesses us, but we're just, we're just leasing that blessing. It's not, we don't own it. It's not like we're giving back to God. We're, we're returning uh, to God what belongs to His Him. But we are blessed, and it's not ownership its possession but now i want you to think about this beyond uh the the financial side of this because this principle i think applies to life you may be given 24 hours today and you may possess life for another day but do you really own your life do you really own time no we're just tenants right We know we're just on this earth for a limited amount of time. And so if I can get an understanding that what I am enjoying in this life is only temporary, but I can get a revelation that it's not mine, it's just that I've been given the ability to enjoy it. You you can be leasing a, a beautiful apartment but you can be reminded that you're not the owner of that apartment. If you want to go change the paint color, you've got to get permission from the owner or you've got to uh, buy a new appliance or whatever the issue is. There are things that always remind us that we're not the owner per se. 
Humanity wants to take not just possession, but want to take ownership of everything. But ladies and gentlemen, you and I both know that our life can be gone in a half second. There's all these things that are happening inside this body, and systems are going and, and running, and, and one little thing can malfunction and me fall over on the floor. Every breath we take is a gift from God. You don't own your life. God has just given you. He's just given you on loan life. He's given you breath. That's on loan. You don't own your breath. God loans you breath. Oh, my friend, if you can get a revelation that I don't own it, I just am leasing it. And God, hallelujah, has given me a limited amount of time and a limited amount of ability, but I can take it and I can use it for the glory of God. If you do, your, your, your life is in alignment with the divine purpose of God. The joy of life. This is so important that you get this principle. And I know it's, it's counterintuitive to our nature. But if you can get this understanding that the joy in life is knowing what you don't own. It's in knowing what you don't own. That's the joy of life. If you get that revelation, you can, get the, you can give the first part of everything to the Lord. Because you don't have to fight with ownership rights. You don't have to struggle with God. This is mine. This is yours. This is mine. No, you say it's all yours, God. I just thank you for allowing me to partake of it. I get to, I get to have a part of it. Oh, hallelujah. Let me give you another example. When the children of Israel crossed over Jordan, they'd wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They cross over Jordan. They begin to take the land of Canaan. There were 10 cities that they were to take in the land of Canaan to have control of this promised land that God had promised them. And, of course, through doubting and, and all the, the different um, things that they struggled with in the desert, it was a whole generation that had to die off to where they could finally be ready. Even Moses didn't, wasn't able to go into the promised land. And um, there's another great example. The, the mistakes that he made were, were first impulse decisions, striking the rock with the rod and all the things that that he did were another indication of 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 him failing the test of the first fruits and uh, so finally joshua has to lead him his successor and then uh another whole generation and, and joshua says we're going to go back and we're going to we're going to eat of the old corn before we go in other words we're going to remember just like we we're talking about with communion we're going to remember our past victories and we're not going to just skate into that Canaan's land without remembering there's a price that's been paid to get us to this point. We're going to go forth in faith and victory, but we're also going to remember the sacrifices of our past. And so he had them uh, be uh, circumcised. He had them uh, eat of the old corn, and then they were prepared to go over uh, into Canaan's land. Now, as they went over the Jordan River, there were ten cities that they were going to have to conquer. And the first was the city of Jericho. And, and perhaps the most uh, developed and uh, affluent city uh, of the ten cities was Jericho. And uh, the Lord told Joshua, and I tell the people, not to take any of the spoil. Once again, the first part belonging to the Lord. Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed, when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. So there's this flow down blessing, but there's also this accumulation of, of curses that also take place. And that is that disobedience can be contagious as well as obedience. And so he's telling them that all of Israel be cursed, so don't anybody partake of it. Verse 19. And, 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 and you, you've heard this said, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Well, guess what? When the tide goes out, all ships drop as well, right? It, it, it works both, both directions. Verse 19. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So he's saying it doesn't belong to them. It's first fruit. belongs to God. It'll be accursed if you take it. So they go. They conquer Jericho. They march around the walls. And you know that story. When they go to the next city, which is a little city by the name of Ai, they didn't even think they needed all their army. They just took their elite crew over there to, 
uh, to take care of that group, their Navy SEALs or whatever. And they didn't even think they really needed everybody, you know, to be a part of the battle. When they went against AI, um, they were defeated very quickly. And uh, they came back and everybody was like, what in the world happened? I mean, we just conquered Jericho. AI is like, it's like winning the Super Bowl and then not being able to win a, a Sandlot game. What in the world? This is not right. Something's up. And so Joshua goes to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord says, somebody in your camp didn't obey and took some of the spoil of Jericho. His name was Achan. Joshua chapter 7 and verse 11 says, Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Now, that's the point that I want to extract from this scripture. And that is the co-mingling of what belongs to you and what belongs to God. Notice the distinction between their own stuff and the accursed stuff. There's a distinction here. If you take what belongs to God and you put it with your own stuff, it is accursed. Again, we're reminded that just because you possess it doesn't mean that you own it. Here, here's another illustration of that same principle. There's a saying that I love, uh, and, and it simply goes like this. It's our job to humble ourselves, and it's God's job to promote us. If we do His job, He'll do our job. Just let that sink in for a moment. It's our job to humble ourselves. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And it's God's job to promote us. If we do His job, He will do our job. All right. If we understand that statement, then use that as a template and put it on this principle. If you take what belongs to God, He will take what was meant for your blessing. If you take what belongs to Him... He will take what He intended to be your blessing. That's why the Bible says you can fill up your bags, but if it's got holes in the bottom of it, what good does it do? So, going back to the principle, put the kingdom of God first, spiritually, intellectually, physically. Now, how do we put this principle, this first fruit principle, how do we put it into place physically? I believe we put it into place based on the disciplines that we have or what we wear. We oftentimes wear uh, modest clothing that probably would be more comfortable for us to wear something else. But we do it as, uh, as a, 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 an act of obedience to biblical principles. There is, throughout the Word of God, three biblical principles as it relates to our dress. It has to do with distinction from the world. It has to do with gender distinction. And it has to do with modesty. Those three principles are extracted from the Word of God, both in the Old and the New Testament. So when you dress modestly, let's say, you would rather, you know, in your flesh dress differently, but you are, are trying to obey biblical principles, so you do that, and you say no to your own desires, what happens is you are giving that first fruit to the Lord. You're saying that this temple of the... Uh, this body is not just for my own personal pleasure. It's not just my own, you know, jungle gym to enjoy. It is a temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, God lets us in, in, enjoy life, but we have to put Him first. So physically, uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, be modest in my apparel. I, I, I think that goes beyond just... Uh, what we dress. I just think that's one area of the principle. I think it goes to uh, saying no uh, to our desires. It goes to uh, giving God the first part physically, which means that you put principle over preference. Uh, there may be disciplines that you make with your body that God will honor to give you a blessing uh, on your health. I personally feel like that whenever you physically uh, are tired and weary and you don't feel like coming to church on a Wednesday night, but you get up and you get dressed and you come as all of you did tonight and you say, I'm going to come in the house of God anyhow. You know what you're doing? You're saying, I'm not going to just do what I feel physically. I'm going to do what I know is biblical. 
And so I'm going to pull myself together even though I'm tired. And I'm going to go to the house of God. Every time we physically put principle over preference, guess what we're doing? We're honoring first fruit principles. And God will bless it. I was, I was so amazed uh, because I think fasting is a part of this as well. Um, and, and I was so amazed uh, a number of years ago. The boys were young and, and Amy and I uh, were, um, I don't even know if Sophia was born yet. It was Amy and I and the boys, they were, they were little. I don't think Sophia was born yet. So they would have been like four or five. We were over on the West Coast uh, in the Fort Myers area. And we went to that uh, Henry Ford, uh, Thomas Edison Museum area there because those, those two guys were good friends. They owned uh, winter houses next door to each other uh, on the river over there in Fort Myers. And they preserved all of that. And, of course, because they were the type of people they were, they were on vacation. They never really stopped working, so they'd set up museums and... and uh, Thomas Edison was was working on using bamboo filaments to try to figure out how to do this light bulb he was working on. Um, Henry Ford was good friends with Firestone, Roy Firestone. They were working on, on rubber plants. They planted all these banyan trees. Anyhow, there, there's all kinds of interesting things that they worked on while they were over there. They got the phonograph that Edison worked on while he would be down here in the winter. And, the, and he was hard of hearing because when he was 12 years old, he was running to catch a train. He was missing the conductor. Or somebody reached down and pulled him up and pulled him by his ear. And he was always hard of hearing his, his whole life because of that uh, incident. But uh, he, he was working on the phonograph, and he, he couldn't tell when it was making music or not. So he would bite into the box. They, they have the box over there with his bite marks in it. And he would bite into the box, and he could feel the vibrations in his jaw. Think about that. The guy who invented the phone, the record player. You guys know what a record player is now? You <laughs> bit, he bit into it. And so I was, I was fascinated. With, and as I was walking around, they, they, the guy, they tell you, and they show you their houses. And, and uh, they said something uh, that was always interesting to me. They said that every year, um, at the beginning of the year, that Henry Ford and Thomas Edison would fast for seven days. And they did not do it for spiritual purposes, uh, at least according to the guide. I mean, who knows why they did it. But the guide said they did it for health purposes. They learned, and of course this is way back then, and they even, both of them lived to be in their 80s, which was amazing back then when life expectancy was, was probably uh, around 60 years old. But... They, they lived up in their 80s and they did it for health purposes because they recognized that the body is somehow cleansed and made more healthy by saying no for seven days to eating. That principle relates even on a physical level that you say, you know what? I'm going to give the first part of the year to the Lord. I'm going to fast. You remember we used to do Daniel's 21-day fasting at the beginning of the year? We used to do that every year. We'd start the year off. We had to quit doing it because people accused me of doing a 21-day fast to go on my own personal diet. So we we couldn't do it anymore. We had to let everybody just do their own thing. But I'm I'm going to go back and do it anyhow because I could care less what people think about it. So 20... (laughs) 20, 21 days. But we used to start off every year. It's, it's the first fruit principle. So if we would apply that. Here's a guy, Henry Ford, Thomas. They're not preachers. They're, I don't even know if they're Christians. But they recognize the value in it. So that's the principle of first fruits as it relates to um, the, the physical body. Emotionally. I talked about that, so I won't spend much time. But giving God the first of. Uh, of your emotions and and how that will bless the rest of your day uh, socially being in fellowship with God spending time with him first and foremost uh, Psalm 63 1 says this O God thou art my God early will I seek thee early will I seek thee the Lord is serious about his portion he takes it personal when you take what belongs to him. He owns the first 10% of everything you possess. And the sooner that you and I realize it, then the sooner we'll be blessed. Now, let me, let me talk to you about two passages of Scripture that we read at the very beginning, then I'll let you go. You've been a great audience. In Malachi, the writer says you're cursed with a curse because you robbed God. 
you robbed God. And then they said, well, how have we robbed God? And he says in tithes and offerings, Malachi 3, 8, 9, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me even this whole nation. You see how there's that expansion aspect to this principle? Now, here's the reason why I wanted to sort of dissect these verses for just a moment. There is a difference between robbery and burglary. These verses say that you rob God. When you, when you look at the difference between robbery and burglary, now I'm, I'm, I'm pulling back from the law school days. There's a distinct difference between robbery and burglary. Burglary at common law, which is where we get our judicial system from, our jurisprudence system came from common law, which came from England. And when you go back to what the original meaning was of burglary, common law, it was an actual breaking in of a dwelling at night with intent to commit a felony. That later expanded uh, to, to be an entering of a building. It didn't have to be your dwelling, uh, per se, and it didn't have to be at night. Uh, but there still had to be some intent to steal property or value. But here's what's interesting. Burglary is stealing possessions whether the person that owns the possessions is present or not. So somebody can burglarize your house and you not be there. Robbery is a whole different animal. Robbery is the felonist taking of property from the person by violence or against his or her will. So that when you rob someone, it is a taking it from their person. It's, it's by force. It is personal. God is saying that when you take what belongs to him, it's not burglary, it's robbery. You are taking it from me, it's personal. This is what happened with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. This is a story that's, that's sort of glossed over by uh, Christian churches in America that love the, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and the miracles uh, and the healing and the forgiving love of God on display in the New Testament. But they don't want to talk about Acts 5. Well, all the book of Acts, you know, we got to look at all of it. You can't like be a cafeteria Christian, just pick and choose the good parts. So let's look at what Acts 5 is talking about. Acts 5, 1 through 6, a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Peter's saying this is personal and to keep back part of the price of the land. Now watch this. Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Now there's two different things there. Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? What? The land. You owned it. But then when you sold it, which now is gain or increase, after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? You notice he doesn't say there that it's your own after it's sold. It's now in your power, which then takes us back to the principle we talked about earlier where you're, you're, uh, you're in possession of it, but you're not necessarily ownership of it. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Peter is saying this is personal. He didn't say after it was sold, was it not thine own? Because it was increased. But it was in his power, it was in his possession. It was not his own after it was sold. And here's what verse 5 says. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. Do you notice what he did? He mixed what belongeth to God with what belonged to him. He kept back part of the price. He mingled funds that were not his own. Now this is something that I think is so important for all of us as Christians. We have to be careful that we don't just overdose on the grace and mercy of God and ignore biblical principles. You can't put on an usher jacket and collect offerings and be robbing God. 
you're setting yourself up. You can't call yourself a Christian and be robbing from God every time you take home a paycheck. You're literally carrying a ticking time bomb. Most folks will give an offering, but are you truly honest with your tithe? Because let me tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, the God of this world is money. And if you can get tithing right, I believe you can get every other area of your life right. Because money is the 900-pound gorilla in the room. And if you can say, God, I'm going to honor your word, and I'm going to give you the first fruits, that's a tangible thing that you can get your hand around. I believe that if you can do that, that you can then begin to see God working in all of these other areas of your life, where you take that same principle and you say, wait a second, that first emotion belongs to God. That first praise belongs to God. You see what I'm saying? No man ever yet lost by serving God with a whole heart. Nor gained by serving Him with a half one. Don't co-mingle your heart, your desires, your passions with this world. Give it all to the Lord. Put it in the Lord's hands. Because folks, you're going to pay sooner or later. If you take right now of what belongs to God, you're going to pay sooner or later. Like Ananias and Sapphira, we will lose not only what we thought we had purchased so cheaply, but also the price that we paid for. They ended up losing everything and, of course, ultimately losing their life. But if we would have God open His treasury, then we must also open ours. If we want the blessings of God, this is a God you want to be in agreement with. Because, as one old preacher said, He's got a lot bigger scoop than you do. <laughs> oh, we just got a little tablespoon. But he's got a big gulp. Hallelujah. He can bless us beyond our wildest imaginations. And our, our treasury, I know, uh, is our finances. But his treasury is much more than finances. It's health and strength and joy and peace in the midst of the storm. Oh, hallelujah. It's our life. It's the breath that we breathe. Just because we're in possession of it does not mean we own it. What about our children? Just because you have children that bear your name and carry your DNA, you do not own them. You're simply entrusted with them. They're just on loan. In the Old Testament, the Lord said, the firstborn belongs to me. It was about the the birthright. The firstborn belongs to him. Numbers 8, 17 and 18. For all the firstborn of the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. My goodness. That's why he took them all out of Egypt, because they all belonged to him anyhow. But he said, I sanctified them when I took them. Somebody I feel right now may have lost a child. You're still dealing with the grief. The Lord wants you to know He took care of it. He took, He sanctified them when He took them. And I have taken the Levites for all the firstborn of the children of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, your child belongs to God. He can take the child whenever He wants to. That child has just been loaned to us. That child does not belong to Little League or Boy Scouts or high school band. That child belongs to God. You better get that child in church. That child belongs to God. That's why we dedicate children, as we did a couple of weeks ago, to the Lord early on. We're saying, Lord, we recognize that this child belongs to you. And then the Bible makes it clear, God forbid, if you should touch or harm one of these little ones. You talk about it being personal with God. You harm a child and see what the recompense of that action is. You mess with a kid and God takes it personal. I'm talking about the first fruits of all things. That you set time aside to be with the Lord before you start your day. We have a promise from God that if we will give Him the first fruits, He will multiply blessings on the rest of our house. You remember the text? You also, 
shall give unto the priest the first of your dough, that he may cause the blessing to rest in thine house. He will cause the blessing to rest in your house. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a permanent blessing. That is a blessing that will go beyond your own lifespan. It'll be on your children and your children's children. It will rest there. It will take up residence there. It will live there. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Your barns, you know what that is? That's your personal possessions. Your barns will be filled with plenty. But what about the presses? Your presses shall burst out with new wine. Your presses, that's your profession. That's your job. That's the ability to produce. He says they're going to burst out with new wine. It's going to be productive. Malachi says you will not be able to contain it. The heavens will open up. Oh, my friend, that's a spiritual blessing. What a blessing it is to be able to come into the house of God, even on a Wednesday night, and feel the blessings of God. That's Him opening up the heavens and blessing us with a spiritual blessing. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. What are all those things? Let me tell you what they are. They're everything that's out of your control. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything that's out of your control, everything that's stressing you out, everything that you cannot fix uh, by putting your hand to it. He says, uh, everything shall be added unto you. God will bless it. It will be a flow down blessing that comes from heaven. Hallelujah. And it will affect every area and aspect of your life. Do you believe it in Jesus' name? Oh, why don't you stand to your feet right now and... Lift up your hands. Hallelujah. Oh, why don't you give the Lord some praise right now? I thank you, Lord, for your blessings. What a great God you are, Lord. You have kept us. You have opened up the windows of heaven, Lord. You have blessed us with health and strength. You've blessed us with family. You've blessed us in this church, oh God. You've blessed us. You've allowed us to come together and sit in heavenly places, oh God. I put it back into your hands right now. I believe there's some people in this building right now. You're dealing with situations. God said, why don't you put it back in my hand right now? Come on, why don't you pray that prayer? Lord, I put everything in your hands right now. I've been wrestling with it. I've been trying to figure it out. I'm going to give it unto you, Lord. I'm going to turn it loose right now and put it on the altar of God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody make a commitment right now. I'm going to give you the first fruits of my day. I'm going to give you the first fruits of my energy. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, aren't you thankful for the Word of God? Woo! It is health and strength to our bones. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn and shake your neighbor's hand and say, God is good. He is the blesser of all things. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.